Every now and then, it's helpful to remember that Jesus didn't write anything down. The gospel writers didn't claim that he did either. He didn't write anything down. Instead, he was um, a storyteller, a teacher. His words are passed through the air into the ear. They're not on the page for the eye for us to think about. It was only well after his, his teachings, his stories, his life, his death, his resurrection, it was only well after that that the gospel writers and editors took the time in part because they were worried that things were going to be being missed as generations died, to write it all on scrolls and to pass it. But it's helpful to remember that Jesus himself didn't write anything down. His words for the ear, not the eye. His words float through the air. It's an oral tradition, and that oral tradition survives at the cathedral just this Sunday as we here, every time we have a certain Episcopal service, we hear the lessons, all of them read or sung. Yes, we print them in the leaflet, and we always will, but it's helpful every now and then not to read along as we hear them. And that's helpful because, especially with a great lecture like today, it's helpful because it helps us to imagine and, and, and feel what's going on beyond and between the words, the pacing and the pauses, the tone and the feelings. I think all that's incredibly helpful this Sunday for two reasons. One, if you really feel and listen to this lesson and imagine what's going on between and beyond the words, I think you can notice what is one of the most absurd moments in the four gospels. And I've always thought actually one of the most hilarious, if not the most hilarious moment in the four gospels. After the five parables, Jesus says to the crowds and presumably the apostles, have you understood all of this? And what do they say? What do they say? If Jesus asks me, whether on earth or in heaven, if I've understood all of this, that's not my answer. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say, yeah, I've got it. Let's move on to the harder lessons, Jesus. They say, yes, it's absurd. It's absurd. And we don't know if they answered in unison like the way we do here in call and response, the Lord be with you. You know, I really suspect they didn't answer in unison. I think it was Peter who said yes. <laughs> the second reason why it's helpful, particularly this Sunday, to remember, um, look beyond and between the words, and remember that Jesus didn't write any of this down, is because it helps us to hold lightly what was written down. And especially to hold lightly the interpretation of the parable of the net and the fish. The last one, where Matthew has Jesus explain literally what it means. In heaven, the angels will sort the evil fish and the righteous fish. That could be, as, as many scholars think and as I agree, 
an addition from Matthew or the early church. Why do they think that? Well, if you look at the first four parables, there's no explanation. And parables really aren't allegories. They don't have a, an exact meaning. They're instead open-ended and they open our imagination, our hearts, our memories um, to look for subtlety. There are many, many, many good interpretations of parables. There are a few bad ones too, but there are lots of good interpretations. It's rarely ever just a single meaning. All five parables today are evocative and, and fabulous, but I want to focus on one. It's the parable of the leaven and the three measures of flour. This same parable is found in Luke's gospel, almost verbatim. The emphasis in Matthew and in Luke is undoubtedly upon the ingredients, the leaven that's just below the surface, the flour, the ingredients or what, or what are the focus of our imagination. There's another gospel, the gospel according to Thomas. It's one of the gospels that didn't make it into the Bible, didn't make it into the canon for, for all kinds of reasons. But every now and then it's a helpful comparison and contrast with what, we, what did make it in. And the gospel of Thomas has this very parable, but a very different emphasis. Here's how Thomas tells it. He says, the father's kingdom is like a woman who took leaven and hid it, hid it in flour. She hid it. And then she turned it into these enormous loaves that fed everybody. Anyone with ears to hear better listen. The emphasis in Thomas then is, is, is the woman, not the ingredients. And she symbolizes, she symbolizes the ways in which we participate with God, taking what is subtle and mixing it into something that's practical and making all of it real for more and more people so that perhaps more and more people can eat. But she symbolizes the things we do to make the kingdom present. But there's more. There's a lot more. So there's a, um, a wonderful author and teacher, professor, at Vanderbilt. Her name is um, Amy Jill Levine. She's the professor of Jewish studies and New Testament there. And she has a spectacular book on the parables of Jesus with a great title, Short Stories by Jesus, The Enigmatic Parables of a Controversial Rabbi. It's great. And Amy Jill Levine says that the parable of the three measures of flour is undoubtedly a reference to a great story in Genesis 18. It's the story of Abraham and Sarah. They've had a tough week. Abraham's had a really bad week. The details shouldn't concern us here, but they're fascinating and not exactly meant to be told in church. Look them up later. It's hot. It's really, really hot. And Abraham is weary. And all of a sudden, as the noonday sun is at its highest, all of a sudden, these three mysterious visitors appear to him, perhaps angels. Abraham goes to Sarah and he says, quick, quick, take, our, take three measures of our best flour, mix it and turn it into cakes. Sarah does that. Abraham takes the cakes to the angels, and it turns out that angels love cake. 
And then they, they, they give that prophecy or promise that some of us will remember. And they say that Sarah will conceive a son. Sarah is listening outside the tent. She hears all of this. And what does she do? She laughs. It's that story. She laughs. And then she says to herself, when I'm grown old and Abraham is grown old, shall I know pleasure? And pleasure is meant to be taken literally. Jesus and most of his hearers would have likely known that story. So when they hear the parable of the three measures of flour mixed, mixed together with the leaven, they would have remembered that story. They would have heard and felt Sarah's laughter. All of that would have been in the air. And if all of that's in the air in the background of this parable, its meaning takes on you know, a different, a different feel entirely. It means that God is baked into the whole of life. God is baked into the whole of life. God is involved in sexuality as much as prayer. God is found in the kitchen as much as in the sanctuary. There's not some difference or line that separates what's sacred from what's secular. God mysteriously is involved in all of it if we but have eyes to see and ears to hear. There are other meanings of this parable, but that's my favorite one. In my experience, and I suspect yours, God is sometimes experienced only in a subtle way. God is is just below the surface and details of our lives, not causing them, but relating to all of them and especially to us. Sometimes God is, is far from subtle and only too clear, giving us a realization or an epiphany that if we have the courage to really feel it and be honest about it, it could change the entire course of the rest of our lives. Sometimes in the present moment, we can't see or feel or sense God at all. But years later, even decades later, in retrospect, we can look back and see the contours of God's presence tracing our footsteps. Whether God is subtle in your life or all too clear, whether we are conscious of God's presence or not, the point seems to be, thankfully, that God's Spirit is always, always present.